Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Sam Denning. This is the Rift Enlightenment Within the Divide. It's been several months, I think maybe January since I did an episode last, maybe February, but uh, in between the last episode and the one this month, there's been massive ice storms, power outages, uh, massive vaccination efforts, different states all over the country giving away millions of dollars for people to get vaccinated, Um, all kinds of crazy stuff, Uh, basically nearly a war in Israel. Um, But through all that, all that craziness, I've been able to get some time to do another podcast, and yet again, I've got my old faithful, my old buddy Steve Casey here with me to have a conversation about some of these things and interweave uh, some of our thoughts on social media censorship and some other topics that are probably hot topics to listen to. And I'm sure that everybody here has just been itching for a new episode. I've been getting texts and phone calls asking me, hey, man, when are you going to drop another episode? When are you going to drop another episode? Well, here it is. So, as usual, relax and enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, Steve. How you doing? It's good to be back. Doing pretty well. Lots changed since the last time I was here. Yeah, so, well, before we get into a deep dive, what all is going on with you? Got a new job. Uh, again. Um, you enjoying it? Well, it's, a, it's challenging, but I've been waiting for a good challenge. And, you know, it, it feels good to, to finally have uh, some of the skills I've cultivated through the years put to the test. Uh, challenging my Japanese skills, which are ten years rusty. It's uh, that would be terrifying for me. It's challenging my Excel skills, which I learned over the course of two nights before I did the interview for this job. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, you know, it's a lot more than what it was advertised to be. But I'm okay with it. I'm I'm glad that you've kind of made it over your quote black hole that you've been <clears throat> sucked into for 35 years well, i haven't been sucked into it for <laughs> 35 years i'm not quite 35 yet oh i'm sorry yeah well i took a stab at it <laughs> um close. no um as as you is as you know steve you've become a really good buddy of mine and I, i've been awfully busy and haven't had as much time to take your phone calls and talk to you but you know whenever we do have our conversations off the record, they're some of the most fulfilling conversations I have, and I really enjoy them. And that's one of the reasons I like to have you on this podcast, because I feel like you're very insightful. You see things for as they really are. And um, we're kind of cut from the same cloth in that regard, that we, we can have very good, very uh, intellectually honest conversations about what we think is going on in the world and, and hopefully enlighten those people that uh, are able to listen to these uh, conversations that we have that are you know, recorded. Um, I obviously it's June now. It's actually sweaty, nasty, humid, humid, miserably humid, miserably humid right now. Uh, but I'm back to cutting grass again, and it's as miserable as it always is. Um, busiest time of the year. Uh, 
a lot of people on my properties always move out in the summer and then you know i got to try to find out how to get the places rented all while i'm cutting grass and and trying to juggle life with the the wife and the kids and they're getting older so anyway that's just a little a little bit of a background and update about me and i guess steve here so so steve uh, before we fired this thing up i you know you and i were bouncing around ideas of topics to talk about there's too many and oh man there's just entirely entirely too many to talk about um but one of the ones i i kind of brought up to you and and you said maybe it'd been burned up or been talked about an awful lot and then we bounced it around you said now you know what that may be a maybe that one's not totally licked yeah was was this idea of specifically social media censorship, but I think that you can also more broadly say just media censorship in general and what the the actual media companies choose not to talk about. Yeah, they, the directions that they tend to uh, force the conversation, the narratives that they try to create. It's definitely a clear zeitgeist, which is... uh, a word that uh, we discussed at one point. Uh, the word meaning kind of like uh, that atmosphere that you feel in the air, a sociopolitical, societal just atmosphere. Like kind of read the room situation. That's what Zeitgeist is. And uh, they, try to, they try to manipulate it. They try to create it. And as we were talking off recording a little bit earlier with your wife, uh, you know, there's the zeitgeist of uh, censorship. And I was mentioning that at the time that I lived in China, I felt this oppressive air around me. And I'm not even talking about the pollution in the air, (laughs) which is oppressive in its own way. Uh, It's like that pollution is oppressive, just like the heat was today with the humidity. Yeah, well, at least in the heat and humidity, you don't uh, catch a a cough that you'll never get rid of. Um, But it's just this feeling that there's something utterly absurd going on all around you all the time. And nobody acknowledges it. It's like there's, you know, you've heard of the elephant in the room. Well, this elephant is stomping on your car and you're watching it and you're not allowed to talk about it nobody's allowed to talk about it and if you speak out of line then you're the bad guy it's a horrible horrible feeling and whenever i came back to the states in uh, august of 2015 that atmosphere was lifted you know things had felt relatively back to normal. yeah god bless america right right i was ready to kiss the ground you know and then over the past four years, this divide has been created, after which you named your show, you know. And uh, ever since November, you know, that oppressive atmosphere has come back in my own country. And it has driven me to a point of anger and frustration, this kind of hopeless, almost... I don't know how to describe it, a kind of frustration that there there's no outlet for, you know. And 
I remember we kind of wanted to do one of these shows after the election, but like the censorship was ramped up so hard. The president of the United States was banned from Twitter while he was a sitting president, which is insane. I think it's illegal because it, 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 it was supposed to act as a public square for the public to interact with a public servant. And that that's why it is that uh, they disallowed Donald Trump from blocking people was because it was decided that uh, Twitter was a platform for which the public could interact with public servants. And then Twitter themselves took away that privilege from the public, took away that right from the public to interact with our public figures. Yeah, you know, this is kind of one of the main, the, the largest point of this topic that you and I were discussing earlier. And I likened it, and I'm going to use this example because I think it's a pretty good example. You know, if you view Facebook and Twitter as truly digital public squares, which I would argue that is what they are claiming to be which is why they are allowed to get this section 230 stuff in the law where they aren't aren't held accountable for the content on their platform because they are quote acting as a public square where they're supposedly allowing everything on there other than things that would normally be against the law anyway, right? Like uh threatening someone's life harassment. or harassment, you know, you can't do that in public either. So those sorts of things, yeah, you can block someone like that on Facebook, just like you could call the cops on someone like that out in Pullman Square in Huntington. Yes. Right? Well, what they have begun to do, and they have been doing it for quite a while, is they, it would be similar to, say, people protesting uh, something out in front of the Supreme Court, you know, multiple different opinions, and a bunch of people holding up signs and, you know, different groups scattered all over the place, maybe 20 people saying one thing, 20 people saying another thing, the police officers around making sure nobody gets hurt. And then out of the blue, the cops go over to one group of people. Let's just call them the, for sake of argument, let's just call it the um, the conservatives, the people with the conservative opinion. And they go over to that group of people in public in real life and just grab them and take them away. Would that, that would be considered absurd, um, unconstitutional and their, their reasoning behind it would be because, um, no one's allowed to hear that opinion, right? Doesn't fit a narrative. Doesn't fit the narrative. Well, that would be absurd. Everybody would agree that it's, that it's absurd. Well, Facebook and Twitter are doing the exact same thing in the digital format. And the only thing that they're falling back on and the only argument I continue to hear from people is that, well, they can do what they want. They're a private company. Well, they're not. They are not. They are a private company, but they are providing us. They're providing a utility. Um, Once you get government funding, you stop being a private company as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and there, there's other things, too. They're getting government protections for the thing in which they're telling people they are, which is being a platform, and they're not being a platform. A platform, 
A digital platform is just like I said uh, in, in the example of like a public square. That's what it is. They're not being a platform. They're be, they're being a they're be, they're being a publisher. What's going on here? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. They're being a publisher. Exactly. Um, this kind of brings me to a point that made me realize that maybe this is a topic worth discussing when we were kind of going over that conversation a minute ago. Um, one area where I'm going to have to uh, vehemently disagree with Donald Trump is he, towards the end of his uh, breath of fresh air tenure, um, he was saying that uh, <clears throat> that we need to repeal Section 230, and he was completely wrong. The truth is, what he should have said is we need to enforce Section 230. What it means is that as a publisher, you know, you don't, you're not afforded like uh, certain conveniences by the government as a publisher, but you have the right to craft your own narrative. Obviously, publishers want to craft their own narrative. That's why they release the books they release. Correct. But if you rather, if you're acting as a platform, then you have to let people, so long as they're acting within the bounds of polite society. Yeah. yeah, just like we like I said earlier, you know, if somebody's out in public doing the sort of things like harassing people or threatening people's lives, you know, you could remove them from the public square just like you can just like Twitter and Facebook can remove them from the digital square. Precisely. And so what they're doing by adding blue check marks, these verified accounts that carry with them a certain kind of I don't know, authority, weight. It's entirely arbitrary, to be honest with you. But they're, basically, these are like favored writers for publishing houses. And then the riffraff, you or me, you know, we're just some lowly janitor working in the, uh, cleaning the, the, the publishing house's toilets or something. You know, we decide to say something, well, you're fired. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not sticking with the narrative. You're not, holding the views of our company, but whenever you're trying to act as a platform, it doesn't matter whether or not you agree with the the views of the company. What matters is that you are a person standing on that platform and you are voicing an opinion in a civilized and polite manner. Now, sometimes people can get really heated on these things, but as long as they keep it within the bounds of the agreed upon terms and conditions, they're should be no reason to boot them off. They just find excuses. Right. Like, for instance, to question the origins of the coronavirus, you know, COVID-19, a year ago was was bannable by Twitter and Facebook. Right. And, um, and, and arbitrarily. So apparently, Facebook and Twitter, they were the only ones that were allowed to determine where the virus originated. No one else was allowed to have an opinion on that. Well, Sam, they listen to the science, which in, in today's day and age, to listen to the science means to uh, to believe in the consensus, to to believe in the bought and paid for narrative because scientists are people that can be bought off too. Yeah, and it's not, there is science in there, but a lot of it's the science. And by science, I mean political science. Yes. It's not science, it's science. Yeah, it's P-science. P-science. Um, but 
you know, I'm not going to argue this from a standpoint that I think that every, you know, my, my opinion should be, I'm not even on Twitter and I'm not even on Facebook, but I'm not saying that you need to allow these people on Facebook because they're right all the time. It's got nothing to do with who's right or wrong in their opinions. It's, it's the fact that everybody should be allowed to have their opinion. Right. And and the really funny thing is that uh, here in very recent times, actually, um, Twitter, uh, Twitter HQ, the official narrative is that uh, it's a human right to be able to use this platform because recently the, the the Nigerian president decided that, uh, uh, you know, he didn't want to allow Twitter to operate in Nigeria anymore. And, uh, The reason for that is because they were platforming these uh, these rabble rousing rebels who didn't really like the idea of all the the Muslim uh, Nigerian president's current um, oppression against uh, regular people, and uh, so he decided to shut it down. Um, you know, and then Twitter decided to make a public statement that it's a human right to be able to express themselves to have a platform but this is the same company again that banned the sitting president of the united states how in the world can they make a claim that it's a human right whenever they they banned one of the most well-known people on the planet certainly in america but definitely one of the most well-known people on the planet Right, and you know the the only defense that you keep hearing is, well, they're a private company. Well, okay, you can still be a private company and say and do things that make no sense and are totally hypocritical. Well, it, it even again it goes beyond that. It's like I said earlier. Once you start getting government preferential treatment, you're no longer a private company. You're a public company now. You're basically a government propped up company. Um, but I want to jump ahead of one thing, just in case uh, some of your viewers lean in the direction that you know on the left side just a little bit and then they say well how in the world can donald trump be banned from twitter well of course because he tried to incite an insurrection no no he did not try to incite an insurrection he told people be peaceful go home uh we understand your frustration and your passion go home with love and peace we're not the side that engages in this stuff which is the truth and when you get right down to it it wasn't an insurrection. It was just an unauthorized tour. I mean, you had people, even QAnon shaman, that goofball that wore the horns or whatever, an idiot. He uh, he was directing people to not mess with, I don't know, some of the things in the pen in the the, the break room uh, or something that I'd heard about, but the. And they stayed in lines within the velvet ropes. Whenever you look at some of the surveillance footage, the cops let them in. It, and the only person who died of a legitimately human-caused, a, a true homicide, the only person that died was a U.S. service member who was shot in the neck through a door. Mm-hmm. They try to say, oh, there's this cop who was hit over the head with a fire extinguisher. It was found that he died of natural causes. He died of a stroke. Of course, the timing is inconvenient, um, but there's the fact. 
he died of a stroke. Yeah, and I'm not ever going to defend what those people did. Um, I think they were idiots. I think they do deserve to be punished. Um, but I think that the narrative on that will be a lot different than what it actually was. You and, have the liberals trying to say that it's uh, just as bad, if not worse, than September 11th. I was like, how many people died on September 11th? How many good American people died for no reason on September the 11th? Thousands, right? Thousands of people died that day. How many people died on January the 6th? Three, maybe? Two of them were of natural causes? Well, the crazy thing is, is that their whole purpose was to, quote, stop the vote, which... The count. The count, which didn't stop anyway. I mean, like three hours later, it proceeded and Biden was, you know... Rigged in. He was taken in. Now, I'm not, you know, I'll let you have your opinion. I'm not going to, on my show, have a particular opinion on on that. I'll just go with what is. And so the the count, you know, Biden was... Things progressed as they were going to progress either way. So it's not like they... They didn't do anything. They didn't affect anything. Not at all. Um, I honestly think most of them were drunk. Um, I could see them going to a Trump rally, getting hammered, and Have some a bit of fun. yeah, somebody like that shaman guy or whatever going, hey, let's get out of the Capitol. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't want anybody coming beating my door down. I don't know anything about any of the people that went, you know, went into the Capitol on the sixth. But I said the next day, I was very, very, very bummed out about this. Not bummed out about. I mean, I I was bummed out about a lot of things, but I said, and you remember me saying this, I said, this is going to be when my children grow up and they say, Daddy, why aren't we allowed to talk about this? Why can't we say that? Why is everything, why am I censored, basically? They may not use those words because they're not going to know that's what it is unless I tell them. Just like the people in China, they don't know that they're censored. They just know something's up. It's When you create that sort of culture, it only takes one or two generations before it becomes the culture. Yes. So with my child, when they grow up and they're like, you know, why aren't you know, why do you talk about Trump like this and that? But I'm not allowed to say anything about it when I go to school. I'm gonna say the thing that you can turn around and put your finger on the pulse of is what I'm gonna refer to as the event. The event being that capital quote riot. The you know like the unauthorized tour. Yeah, the unauthorized tour. We're going to be able to look back at that in history and go, that is the day when up to that point, social media had been tiptoeing around the pond of banning people for this and that and then getting called out on it and then having to unban them and blah, 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 blah. Well, after the, quote, the event, which is what I'm coining it. All bets were off. All bets were off. Yes. We don't like what you, you know, this is our agenda. If you're not in line with this agenda, you're gone. Right. Um, and, and then if you post it, and I'll, so I'll say to my son, it was because of the event. Yeah, it w- it wasn't just because of the event. It was because of the reaction to the event. Just like how the mess that our economy in is in due to COVID isn't really due to COVID. It's due to the reaction to COVID. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Some people, the worst thing that has happened to them during COVID is the loss of their unemployment benefits. Right. That that affected them worse than the virus, which that was something that they didn't even have before the virus. And that is the biggest change in their life due to the pandemic is the loss of their unemployment benefits. 
<laughs> right. Or in some people's cases, the continued growth of their unemployment benefit, which uh, out, which makes it so that it's actually more lucrative to sit at home and collect than it is to go and take on a low minimum to low wage job. Um, and it's it's pricing uh, restaurants now. I'm not saying that McDonald's or Burger King or anything is uh, anything particularly special, um, but you know they are businesses, and they ought to be able to compete for i don't know young people to be employed there a first job sort of situation yeah the one thing that this really you know this is kind of a shift from talking about social media censorship to just overall effects of this pandemic but the small businesses so you know we're talking about the loss of freedom of speech or what we what we feel like is and i would argue that we are correct is the loss of our some of our first amendment rights Right. Well, some of the things that make people feel truly American are being able to have our independence and our individuality. That's what makes us unique throughout the world. One of the things that is very important to allowing people to get that sense about themselves is being a small business owner or working for a small business. It makes you feel part of the American dream. Like it truly gives you the, 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 it either can give you the opportunity to make as much money or maybe it gives you the opportunity to fail or, or, or whatever. But one thing that this pandemic has done, and I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw these things out and sound like conspiracy theorists, but it almost seems by design because the way some of these rules were enforced is that the only businesses that really had to shut down were small businesses. Yeah, I mean the big businesses like McDonald's Amazon. and things that had drive-throughs and Amazon and all these companies that were huge. They it did, profited. Yeah, it did, it didn't it didn't affect them, but people it did that were them positively. positively, right, but it did not negatively affect them. The people that it negatively affected were the mom and pop voting people, not the people that you get mad at because they're influencing elections because they have so much money, right? It's the people that own the business that are just voters. Yes. And, and it, it, those are the ones that are not going to be able to come back, or at least mostly. And what terrifies me is that is part of what it means to be an American. And I feel like that that is taken away and being replaced by, oh, the government can help. Here's some unemployment money and shut up. Yeah, here, this kind of goes back to uh, what I was talking about when I said there was this kind of oppressive air, which, by the way, is entirely the reason it's taken us all the way up to June to talk about anything since the last time that I was on this, which was well before November of last year. Well, yeah, to be honest, I was a little bit worried because obviously anybody that's listening knows that, you know, we were leaning real heavily <clears throat> towards Trump and I was a little bit bummed out that he didn't make it. I'm not like suicidal or anything like that. You know, I think that, but it, the narrative about Trump was just so manipulated and it, as time goes on, more and more things, right. yeah, it gets proven right. Yeah. As time goes on, you you see, but the thing I'm worried about is most people don't see because when things get corrected, it's not reported on the news that they're watching. Well, even when it is, it's hard for some of these stubborn individuals um, to really accept that uh, their worldview is completely opposite of reality. Because uh, their reality has been crafted for them 
it's this fake reality crafted by the narrative. Now, by the mainstream. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I think that there's a lot of right wing media that does the same thing. They they hype it up just as much. Oh yeah, sure. So I think that everybody needs to do their due diligence and just use your head. If something doesn't make sense, then it's probably not true. Oh yeah, for for a very long time, like I would say that uh, the the right hand side was pretty senseless. Like especially during the Bush years, where you know uh, September 11th happened, huge tragedy. It was definitely understandable that we want to go into Afghanistan and get the guy who did this. Now we're going to Iraq. What? Why? Weapons of mass destruction. Oh, okay. Well, uh, they claim to have uh, uh, dismantled those after the Gulf War. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're definitely hiding them. And so we launch an invasion, and we're still there to this day. There are people who were born when the war started and are starting to serve in, in a war that's been going on for literally their whole life. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. It, it, it is mind-blowing, or at least it should be mind-blowing, but it, we've all started to take this insanity for granted at this point. But, you know, and back then, if you were against the war, it's like, oh, well, you hate America, you know. Fast forward to 2021, and it's fashionable to hate America for some reason. Um completely utterly absurd but again you know this is the absurdity that i was talking about that we're not allowed to, to speak of yeah it there's so much of it and i i hope that we can bounce back i hope that leveler heads will prevail um i'm not overly confident and i'm i'm going to say something in more of a positive light because there's so much of what we talk about to doom and gloom and it, and it sure does seem that way but you're a little bit more positive than me sometimes steve it's true sometimes but, you know i'd like to say that one thing that's happened in our discourse um and i'm finding myself in it more and more and more and it's because i'm i'm only con- you know I've got these AirPods and I'm out mowing grass and i can listen to my podcast and so i'm consuming a lot of politically oriented media and what I'm going to say is that no matter what side of the aisle you're on left right center whatever everything in our world is becoming political and that's incredibly frustrating yeah it's it's right and what we need to do and I was talking to my mom about this today and we really need to you know here our conversations generally seem to be political but of course we're we're young adults. Like a lot of that stuff's important to us currently in our lives. Um, it, what we need to try to do is to not make everything so political. Things won't be as political. You know, they need to quit bringing politics into the schools. That's what like basically critical race theory that everybody's blowing up about. That's really bringing things into school that shouldn't be in school. Kids should not be told, you know, one person is an oppressor and one person is oppressed, no matter how you slice it, depending on the color of their skin. That's the sins of the father. Yeah, that should not be taught in school. And like I told you, so I'm kind of mixing up stuff here and not really on a total train of thought. But the number one thing is try to have some things in your life that's not 
politically oriented. It's hard now to watch any sort of professional sports and not get politics slammed down your throat or being told you're a bigot just because you don't agree with some of the social justice things they're telling you. They play two anthems at at basketball games now. Yeah, and, and, you know, I never watched basketball, so that wasn't a big deal. It's hard for me to stop drinking Coca-Cola. I like Diet Coke, but I'm actively working on it because Woca-Cola is not cool anymore. I like that name, Woca-Cola. That's pretty good. Um, but things like that have become political. and it, It's so frustrating, like, the, what you mentioned. And, it, you know, especially recently, like, I, I went cold turkey on anything politically charged for a, at least a month and a half. I think back in uh, January, like mid-January up to the ice storm, you know, in February. And... Uh, because it was just so frustrating because like I said that that same oppressive air of something absurd is going on and we're not allowed to speak of it because the narrative gatekeeping masters won't let us uh, that that same oppressive feeling came back and that just added to my my I guess impotent rage at the time and right and one thing that I, I just want to ask people on the other side of the aisle is me, like on the left, that say, oh, it's a private company, you know, Facebook and Twitter, they can do what they want. Okay, let's say they can do what they want. Let's, let's say we agree on that, right? Yeah. Shouldn't it still tell you something that you weren't allowed to even question the origins of COVID last year, but this year it's okay to? So, I mean, shouldn't that tell you, whether they're a private company or not, shouldn't that tell you that, hey, wait a minute, everything I'm consuming on here that's, in, that's media involved, maybe it ain't true. Right. Like, it, shouldn't that be like light bulb? At this point, <laughs> at, at, at this point, conspiracy theory is just code for spoiler alert. Yeah. You know? Uh, but, but back to my, my point just a moment ago, it seemed like every time I tried to bury my head in the sand and just like focus on, I don't know, like a, a TV show like The Expanse or something or, or focus on a game <laughs> right. that I like, you know, it, politics just rears its ugly head and it comes back and shows itself whenever you're not expecting it. And then, you know, I, I used to follow this uh, page on Facebook called Vintage West Virginia because they would show like these old, old pictures of... West Virginia, like a time when McDowell County was like a Broadway or something. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was fascinating. I loved that that Facebook group. And then um, around, I guess, the, uh, the time, the anniversary of uh, West Virginia's founding, every year it would come around, you know, the history of West Virginia is the only state to have ever seceded from another state to secede from the Confederacy, which seceded from the Union. To rejoin the union, you know, and that that's kind of a, a special circumstance for our little state here. But the the admin of the page decided to say basically that Confederate soldiers, uh, it's not, it, th there's no point in pride to have had ancestors who fought on the Confederate side of the war. Uh, and anybody who fought for the Confederacy was evil and bad and a traitor, and they deserve to die and all this stuff. And it's like, well, this is maybe they don't have a obviously don't have a very good relationship with somebody who they've never met, uh, and they're probably two or three generations removed from. But still, that's your ancestor, you know. And uh, a lot of people like to take a little bit of pride in their their legacy or something. And um, not 
all the people who fought for the South did it for the sake of slavery. A lot of people were fighting for because either they were drafted by the Confederate uh, government or they were fighting for their state or something like that. But regardless of that, uh, of any of that reasoning, the guy just, he went from running a page that showed really cool historical photos of West Virginia to shaming people for ever having been related to somebody who fought as a Confederate and shaming our current government for having, uh, for the sake of Reconstruction, uh, declared Confederate soldiers to be American veterans at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I got sick of it, you know? And, and, and like I said, I go from looking at these photos of McDowell County, people lining up the streets to go to theaters and whatnot back in the 30s and cars all over the streets and having gone to McDowell County today, it's uh, it looks like it's it didn't survive a war. Um Mm-hmm. And it's rough. It is rough. It, it is very rough. And then it goes to that, and I unfollow this Facebook page, and I'm just thinking, like, my the area that I can escape to is just shrinking. There's nowhere to go, you know? So you have to get political at this point. The line in the sand has been drawn. Yeah, you haven't picked the your line, side. Yeah, let me, let, me, let me just throw something out here that's going to be kind of funny. So what's well, not funny, but it, it's to prove a point. The line in the sand has definitely been drawn. You're... Oh, yeah. You're either on one side or the other, and I'm not saying it particularly for fighting words, but basically you're you either um, either see life one way or you see it the other. And the way that I would see it is you're you're you want freedom or you want tyranny. Whether the people that want tyranny know that's where they're going, I think that's where that side leads to. Um, you know, you and I. What, by tyranny, I mean just total government control of your life, versus the way our founders wanted it, which was the point of government was to protect our uh, our God given rights, individual sovereignty. Yeah, you know, like God, the Bill of Rights. We're born with God given rights as an individual, and the only point of our government is to make sure that we get to keep those rights. And it seems like the people on the other side of the line in the sand have either forgotten that's the point of being, you know, the point of our government, or they just think that things would be better for everybody if the government made every decision for us. So, and and, and I would I would honestly have I would be better. I would believe somebody much more if that was what they actually believed. But I think a lot of people are naive and they don't know that's what they even are believing. You know what I mean? But yeah. if you truly believe that, I'd say, well, you know, that's valiant. You're, you're probably wrong. You, you're wrong. But, you know, at least you, you believe that you think your life would be better if the government was involved in every single aspect of it. At least you know where you stand. Yeah. So, but what I was going to say is... When I was in middle school, I think, or maybe I was in high school, but I, I believe I was in middle school. If I was in high school as a freshman, we went down. My church went to McDowell County to do some church mission work, and that place was pretty rough, um, very rough. That's we, before the flood. Yes, but they always had flooding, but not that flood, not the one you're talking about, but they, they, they'd always gone through. the. It, it, they never could rebuild down there. Like it, Stuff just flooded constantly. And so we were down there helping people after a flood of some sorts back then. 
not the huge one, um, but a destructive one nonetheless. And nowadays, I know that people obviously still do church mission trips and stuff, but to prove a point, I feel like nowadays going to fix the house in McDowell County isn't as important for people as maybe flying a flag in your front lawn or like a poster that says we support the flood victims in McDowell County. (laughs) You follow me? So what you're talking about is the uh, ever-present virtue signal. Yes, and where I'm going with this is a conversation that I just had today that I just find it fascinating that the U.S. government has now taken it upon themselves to fly the LGBTQ plus flag it and this is the epitome of virtue signaling fly it all over the world at all the embassies except for the embassies in which it actually matters like saudi arabia and uh, other middle eastern countries where if you are lgbtq plus you're either going to be imprisoned or or killed so that's the ultimate virtue signal. It means nothing to fly an LGBTQ plus flag in the U.S. or in Canada where it's already socially acceptable. Yeah, are there people that might laugh or make fun of you or whatever? I'm not one of them, but yes, but it's socially acceptable. And you're not, you know, if you want to make a statement, go stick the flag in the embassy in Saudi Arabia. Just like if you want to fix the flooding down in McDowell County, get off your ass and go down to McDowell County and swing a hammer. Don't just fly a flag off the front porch that says you support, you support uh, the flood victims of McDowell County. I mean, what, it doesn't mean anything. All it means to you is that you support them and your neighbors aren't flying that flag, so they're, they're just pieces of crap. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to remember that uh, our current uh, regime, and yes, I'm using... Regime. This is an operative word. Um, has decided like they're on the side that uh, would that doesn't want to offend other people. Uh, they just want to be on to make sure that they're that they have a moral high ground to be able to uh, claim that they've been offended. Um, so going to Saudi Arabia and flying. The uh, uh, the lettuce, guacamole, bacon, tomato flag. <laughs> That's a, a white claw. Yes, sir. <laughs> anyway, going to Saudi Arabia and being able to fly the uh, the lettuce, guacamole, bacon, tomato flag um, would offend. The uh, the sensibilities of the uh, the Muslims that live there because it is a um, it is a theocratic state, you know, uh, it's a theocratic uh, a theocracy and a monarchy, which is kind of interesting. But either way, that that sort of thing's not allowed there, and that would be a great way to uh, tell Saudi Arabia, hey, by the way, we're not really your allies anymore uh, because we believe in something that you throw people off of buildings for. Well, you're you're absolutely right. That's a great reason not to do it. But then you shouldn't do it at all. Anywhere. I agree. I, yeah, and, and I think it's funny that we're so worried about the feelings of people living in Saudi Arabia, but you don't care about waving that flag in front of somebody in the U.S. that doesn't believe in, the, in that. Well, again, and I'm not here, saying that I'm 
I'm, I'm not taking a side one way or the other. I'm just saying just if people are intellectually honest with themselves, it's just like Coca-Cola in the NBA that are really, really, they're eager to point their finger. Let's just use George as an example. They're, they're eager to point their finger about the supposed voter suppression laws in Georgia but they won't say a word about voter suppression or the fact that people in China can't even vote. No, they can vote, but they only have one guy to vote for. Right, and they can only vote if they're members of the Communist Party. And it... it there you go. But it's just... A, it, if you can't see that, you either don't want to or you're okay with that. And... We could go on and on and on about that. It, it, it's just depressing that that's kind of where we live. And for, in my opinion, about the China thing, I mean, our wives are Chinese, yep. but the, it's all about money. You know, Coca Cola, NBA, they make so much more money off the Chinese people. Just like Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't want to fly the LGBTQ flag there because you don't want to offend them. You're okay to offend the U.S. because, yeah, you know, nobody's going to do anything. But, you know, maybe we'll lose an alliance with Saudi Arabia. Same thing with the NBA and Coca-Cola. Who cares if we offend a couple million Americans? We've got so many more consumers of the NBA and consumers of Coca-Cola or Woca-Cola in China. So who cares? It's a money play. We'll continue to push this and push this and push this. And first of all, I don't believe it's a voter suppression law. I think that uh, how in the world can you claim that they're suppressing the vote when more and more and more people are voting every year? No, I mean, here, it, it, like, they actually have statistics to prove that it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's just mind-blowing. Here, here's the really, really mind-blowing thing is, I think what you're mostly talking about is how the uh, NBA decided to move out of Atlanta. Uh, not not move out of Atlanta, but to move, what was it, the World Series game? Or? Oh, that's the MLB yeah. Um, the NBA, I'm just using in general, I'm sure they made a statement about Georgia, but the NBA is all about. Telling, oh, yeah. telling Americans what they're doing wrong, but by God, they won't they won't talk about the Uyghur concentration camps in China, or the Hong Kong, or the, right. I mean, it's just like all we can all we can do is point the finger and tell Americans about how awful and oppressive that we've been as a Western culture our entire lives, but we can completely close our eyes and smile and grin and open up our hands so that the money and the dollar bills can flow into our hands from China, and we'll just keep our mouths shut. Well, not to mention the fact that uh, we absolutely have to house um, uh, non-white individuals from across our southern border uh, who come in here by way of walking rather than by way of uh, filling things out. We have to welcome them into these horribly, horribly racist and and evil borders. Well, if it's so bad, then why do they come here? Um, That's just a question that I have. I mean, you know. Kind of letting it all out here today. I mean, there's a lot of stuff uh, I've been wanting to let out here for a while. Yeah, if you get me banned or whatever, I'm just I'm blaming sorry. it on you, Steve. Yeah, it's my fault. I'll, I'll own that. I'm sorry. No, uh, but but you know, I watch a lot of the people to the to the southern border. I watch a lot of those people crossing, and I don't blame them. I don't blame anybody for wanting to come to the U.S. Not at all. Not at all. Like, I, and I don't want to see them thrown in a jail and sitting there rotting like true criminals. And yes, it is a crime technically to cross the border illegally. 
we'll get that out of the way. But, you know, 74-year-old grandma and her grandkids and all those people, I mean, they're not criminals. They're coming here for a better life. The thing is, they wouldn't be coming here in droves if the messaging was crystal clear from our country. And that would be, hey, we're actively building a border wall. It may not be done, but we're building it. So that, that, would, that would show you that we don't want you here. And the you message, will be deported if you're not yeah, here. Yeah, and you'll be deported. And the messaging from the administration is, we don't want you here unless you have a valid reason and you can prove it, and you know, like everybody else has to do. And so in saying that, I don't want to be called a bigot or racist or whatever. I mean, I'm not. The point is, is no country can sustain mass influx of people coming in here that you don't even know who they are. Nobody can. If you can't control your border, you can't, you're not a country. Correct. And the thing that kills me about this Biden administration, and I'm trying to be fair. It's hard to do. It is hard to do. But they didn't have to do anything in relation to the border. Trump had spent a long time messing with it and trying to get it, and it was working. Some of the things he'd enacted were the, you know, the stay in Mexico policy and all of that stuff. It was working. The right. Biden administration, all they did is... He just spitefully... Yeah, he got rid of it because there was an, a far-left progressive contingency in his party that wanted that done. Well, but in than, reality, it, it didn't need to be done. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to make any motion. More than that, in his first 100 days, he signed more executive orders than any other president. Yeah, uh, well, we've, we've talked about this on this podcast before, and that is annoying, but I'm very concerned about the future of the country as far as I feel like every president going forward is going to have to sign more executives than the previous president because our actual Congress is dysfunctional. We've basically given our country a dictator. Every time they get elected, Nobody in Congress wants to touch. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. And it, it, nobody, Democrat, Republican, independent, they don't want to truly have their hands on anything to make some dicey political attack ad against them. So nothing ever gets done. In the, so if a president, whether it was Obama or Trump or whoever, to get any of their agenda done has to do an executive order, which is horrible governance. Absolutely. Because the people that we, we actually are able to hold accountable on a routine level is, is, the, is, the, is congressmen and women. And they're supposed, you can't hold those people accountable when, for things that they're, quote, not doing. Yeah. It, they've really created a game out of this. It's the, it's the game of uh, everybody is responsible, so therefore nobody is responsible. Yeah. Uh, it's actually how... Uh, it's actually a lot of how, the way that, uh, say, for example, in Japan, uh, a lot of them uh, are don't feel so... Even back then, whenever Japan committed so many atrocities during World War II, a lot of them were kind of saying, well, I, you know, I got the order from uh, Tojo. I got the order that I interpreted from the emperor. Well, I, my order wasn't meant to be interpreted that way. I have to talk in flowery language. I'm the emperor, you know. It, everybody was re- responsible, so nobody was responsible. And, and a, a lot of corporations use that kind of excuse. Yeah, it, it, everybody wants to hold on to their positions of power. Um, the same thing is going on with this virus, is that nobody wants to take any sort of 
responsibility or knowledge about any of the funding and any of this stuff. And that's why there's been so much pushback on Fauci. I'm not saying Fauci's a bad guy, but I think when history writes, this is what, this is my honest belief. When history writes the history of this virus, Fauci will be frowned upon. I think that in 50 to a hundred years or even 20 years from now, it, it'll be looked upon that he valued his position and his, you know, keeping things hush hush about some of the funding that the U.S. was doing to try to keep think tensions between China and America good. He viewed that as more important than the truth. And I and I'm not saying that. I think that's a human. Here, here's the thing. I think that's a human condition. So it could have been somebody else. That wasn't the last name Fauci, and I think they would have done the same thing. I think that we don't have noble people in any of these positions. Fauci may be the best scientist in the world. I don't know, but he's obviously a typical bureaucrat, and every single one of those people do the same thing. You never get, it doesn't matter if you're in America or China or Russia, they're all doing a big, huge CYA. Cover your ass. Yeah. Cover your ass at all expense, even if it's at the expense of the entire world. Yeah. In the case of Fauci. Fauci's an interesting guy. You know, Sam, uh, don't wear masks. Masks are bad. Now wear a mask. Now don't just wear a mask. Wear two masks. If you've been vaccinated, wear two masks. If you haven't, wear six. I've asked myself, I know, and I I don't want to pound, pound, pound. I'm doing a Stubergeer or whatever, you know, Glenn Beck's, right-hand man, he, he gives Fauci the benefit of the doubt a lot. And I, I, I got to ask myself, because I do believe Fauci knows. I think he knows a lot more than he's saying. And I think he's a little bit worried about the negative view this is going to have on the scientific community. And, and that is more important to him, okay? Because that's his niche. And scientific community deserves a little bit of a negative view. Well, may, maybe so, but I'm just saying in general... I, I've asked myself, what would I do if I was leading them, if I was the guy making these decisions? Okay. And I've asked myself this, you know, I, I, I value myself as a pretty noble person. I don't know. Like when you get into a position like that and you're like, oh crap, this stuff that we were doing, we were hoping this would never happen. This happened. And all of this, obviously none of this has been proven folks that are listening. So don't go take this as the gospel, but I'm, I'm, one of the people that believes this came from a lab, and I believe that it was partially funded by U.S. tax dollars, of which Fauci knew, and I think, I think it was accidentally released. There's some people that don't think it was accidentally, re- but I think it was an accident. I don't. Okay. Well, but let's go with my hypothesis here. Sure. Um, I think that a lot of about Fauci is. He's like, crap, I don't want it. Look how bad this would be if it was known that a lot of our funding, although we weren't supposed to be funding this, went to do this. And then this function research. Yeah, gain of function research. And then this stuff happened. So when you look at his actions and the way he's behaved, it it falls in line with that. Right. And and it's kind of like saving face. Saving face. And would I have done that? Maybe. And I'm not, and I'm saying that to be honest. I think it's a human condition. 
which is why people should be held accountable. And that when we get in, which is why our founders created this government so that the people that were actually making these sorts of decisions were supposed to get elected every so many years. There's supposed to be accountability. So yes, you can screw up and you can make these decisions and you may make them to cover your ass or to benefit your district or to benefit your cronies or whatever, but every two years you can get voted out. Well, the the deep state, which everybody says is this big Trump thing, well, no, all the deep state is are, are bureaucrats that don't get elected and there's no accountability. That's all the deep state, in my opinion, that's all Trump meant by the deep state. The deep state are people that have been in unelected officials, unelected officials that all they're interested in is maintaining their positions and making sure that their departments and whatever are still generating a larger line item in the budget every single year. That's it. That's their sole function. Right. If you, if you solve the problem that uh, you were uh, assembled to create, then you have to dissolve. Uh, so if you can continually, perpetually keep the problem in place but make it look like you're solving it, then you get to keep your power and you get to keep your moral superiority angle. Right. And so back, you know, back to, to, to Fauci and this virus, if what I think is true, which maybe it's not true, but it falls in line with kind of some of the behavior, I think it just shows Fauci is your typical bureaucrat. And it shows he acts like every other one of them acts. Nobody in our government acts like they used to act. They just don't. What can I get from the government instead of what can I give to the people? And I think that's the key. Is uh, it, Ironically, a Democrat said it best, uh, JFK. Yeah. Whenever he said, it's not, ask not what, uh, what your country can do for you, but what can you do for your country? And that, that is an entirely different mentality than what we're seeing today. Right. I mean, I, I had a conversation with um, another real good friend of mine that's actually, I won't give his name, but he, I've spoken with him on here before too. Um, this is a slight shift in gears, but we were talking about how, and I th- we think this is part of, the generational problem that we that that's going on, and why so many people can can latch onto socialism and communism and things of that nature, because they see all the things that people have, and they see that you know their father or somebody's father or whatever has made a lot of money, and that they need a lot of money, and yada yada yada. And people expect to come out when they're eighteen years old, or expect to come out when they graduate college and have have everything they want. And I'm not immune to this, like. I mean, I remember, and I still, to this day, have the same issue. Man, I really want this. I really want that. I want to do this. And my dad would always say, just wait. Do you think I had a bunch of money when I was your age? Do you think I had a bunch? You know, I think we have ingrained people that they don't have to work to get it. People can't see the time that's invested in it. So they they don't... And I'm speaking very broadly, not real specifically. But I think that people are taking time out of the equation. And the accumulation of wealth that a lot of these boomers have gotten has taken them a a generation to get. And I think that 
a lot of the people looking at them saying they've got it, I need to have it right now. And anything less than that isn't good, is a horrible mentality. Now, I'm not saying that's the total mentality. Like, there aren't those same kind of jobs these days. But that mentality is still basically the overall mentality. When people come out, they expect to just have it all. And the thing is, is it it's something you have to acquire. So I think that we're actually coming to a point to where uh, this is actually where you and I differ. Yeah, and this is a good conversation, yeah. Th- th- this is actually kind of uh, where our upbringings diverge even though our conclusions are very similar our upbringings are vastly different um i am a literal bastard um and i love you i know thank you um but i would say that the millennials have legitimate grievance uh that we were sold this idea that we go to college we'll come out and we'll be able to get a good job have a good life no i don't disagree with that that's a fact. We were sold this idea. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the value of uh, post-secondary education is highly inflated right now. Um, now, the, the problem, it, again, I say that uh, the millennials, uh, generation that I'm solidly a part of, born in 1986, uh, have legitimate grievance. It's taken me this long of spinning my tires, despite all of my effort, to finally get a job that really challenges me and that will give me the opportunity to maybe start making inroads. And I'm at the midpoint of my life. You know, I'm only just starting about talking about having children and getting property. And, you know, this is a conversation that uh, my, my grandparents, who are boomers, were having when... They were 20 or 18. And, and 20 and 23. My grandpa mm-hmm. was 23 and my grandma was 20. And so, you know... Uh, that <clears throat> I can definitely see where a millennial would say that's not fair that you guys that that generation had way more opportunity than what we had uh, pre- presented to us. So I get that, but the problem, and this is where millennials absolute as a whole, I'm not talking about me here, absolutely deserve blame, is where they point the finger. You see. A lot of them point the finger at capitalism and at capitalists um, as being the source of their woes. That's not the case. Uh, all of the, not all, but certainly most of these problems are sourced from the government and government interference. Like the inflated price of college, you know, federal loans and whatnot. Um, that guarantees that anybody can go. So therefore they can charge anything because they'll loan anything, you know? Yep. Same thing happens in housing markets. Yeah. So the housing market, like you said, um, this is kind of, that's kind of your area of expertise, obviously. Like that's what you're building your career. Yeah. Well, like I said, not to cut you off here, because I'll let you keep going, but I I said this earlier, we were watching that uh, thing on rent control, right? Yeah, Yeah. Everything, and this is why capitalism is so fantastic. If it's let, you know, there need to be there need to be solid rules that everybody knows, especially right? contract enforcement. Yeah, there needs to be bumpers on the lanes. Okay, right. But other than that, you, you need to not inject any more government interference whatsoever. 
capitalism itself works. It is it takes the best things of people and motivates them, you know, to make money, to make success, to do these things for themselves and in turn that helps society. But that's like a broader kind of view. But what I was saying is that everything is a market. Everything is a market. Yes. The market, labor is a market. It is. Um, all of the food we consume is a market. Housing is a market. College education is a market. Degrees or a market. Right. If just if there's a whole bunch of people that are able to flip burgers, but there's not a whole bunch of people that can speak Japanese mm-hmm. that are American, then of course the market for someone to flip burgers, there might be a whole bunch of positions open to flip burgers, but there's also every single American can flip a burger. Right, it's inflated. Right, so you, the, the the cost of that labor is cheaper. Right. And not every American can speak Japanese, so somebody that wants to offer for a job as an American that speaks Japanese, the cost of that labor is significantly more than the cost of somebody that can flip a burger. Yes. And the same thing goes for college education. If if but what you're saying is so so the market for college education should set itself but where the the government interjects itself is they start to say we'll back all these loans to everybody that wants to go to college right. so instead of it being a market any, anymore where some people would look at it and say oh well i can't afford college so i'm going to go straight into the workforce now everybody will go to college yes it's just another high school right and the, so it perpetuates. Yeah. And the same thing, like with what Ben Shapiro was saying about rent, you know, you think to yourself, rent control sounds good. Well, doesn't it, sound good to me. Right. It isn't good. People cannot just charge whatever they want for rent. I mean, they can, but nobody will rent it. I can't go out there and say, Oh, I'll rent this place for two, this one bedroom apartment for $2,000. Yeah. I would be gouging people's eyes out, but guess what? No one would rent from me. They would go shopping and say, Oh, this is a, there is a rental market. Yeah. And I'll rent for 500 for a one bedroom and then I'll figure it out after a month and go, wait a minute, maybe I'll have a thousand dollars and then still nobody rents from me. Okay. Maybe 500. Oh, okay. People are starting to rent from me. That's the market. Yes. The, same thing happens with all commodities and everything. So back to what you're saying and, and, and back to the millennials. I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking to whatever the heck generation it is of uh, 20-year-olds now. What, what generation is Gen that? Z. Okay, so Gen, Gen Z. And I'm, I'm a millennial too, but I think I'm kind of on the cusp of whatever's X. X, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily, I do not blame millennials for feeling the way they feel. They have every right to. Yeah, and I'm because, but what but what I'm seeing is something that I've seen in myself, and, and I don't think it's just because my upbringing. I think that people expect, no matter what, to have a level of, um, to not have to put time in to be able to have things. Oh, I want this now. I want to have my own home now. I want to. Well, no, you got to save up for down payment. You got to do that. You know. So when you talk to people, it's like people seem to remove time from the equation when they are looking at the generation above them. Right. And And you're not wrong about that. Yeah. So that's kind of what the conversation I was trying to say 
is that in, in me myself, I, I've, I, I removed time as well, kind of, you know what I mean? And now that when, when that time does go by and then if you look at yourself now, so I'm looking at myself now at 37, almost 38. And I remind myself of what I was thinking when I was 20. And when my dad was always saying, just wait, just wait, you know, do that. You got to do this. Cause I used to say, dad, help me out buy this property. Help me out. No, no. You know, you got to save up money. You got to save up money. You got to, you know, now, like you said, did I grow up in a good family situation? Could my father have helped me do that? Yeah. But I mean, he, they did try to raise us better than that and tell, no, you know, you got to go make money, go put your time in. I think that make your own way, make your own way. I think that, Almost everybody thinks, and I think it's a product of pop culture and TV and things, that everybody thinks that if they're not getting it all right now, then they're just not successful, and they're not doing it. That is, that's a very good point, actually. Like, you look on, I I don't watch TV. I haven't had cable in so long. And even now, technically... Cable is kind of bundled in with my rental price, but I just don't care enough to bother the cable company enough to get the services I'm technically paying for. And, you know, I asked my landlord if I could take that off of the price, but they said, no, it's bundled in and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, um, I know that whenever I would be in the student center at Marshall, between classes, shooting some pool down in the basement. Uh, the There was always a girl sitting at the desk, and she always had on uh, MTV, and this was right after MTV stopped being about music, and it was always some kind of reality TV show, and, like, they're always wearing, like, the latest styles or, like, having these name-brand things and having this strong sense of entitlement. And I think entitlement is kind of the key to the problem. Um because socialism, which is the ideology that a lot of these uh, severely misguided millennials and Gen Zers uh, at this point, because they are starting to come into adulthood, have is socialism. And socialism is entitlement to, uh, it's, in, it's entitlement codified. Uh, that's what socialism is. But um, I think that... Uh, my personal grievance. Now, this this might just be me personally. Uh, this I, I I'm not speaking for all millennials when I say this, but my personal grievance is not so much the fact that I have to put in time. I'm humble enough to know that I can't just you know put in a job application and become a CEO or something, or I can't just immediately open a business and become a CEO and have a bunch of people answering to me in a boardroom at 19 years old or something. I know that that's ludicrous. That's absurd. Um, Not to say that there aren't some 19 and 20 year olds that have that position and deserve it because some people do. I mean, but that's very much the exception more so than the rule. I understand that you got to put in the time. I understand that you have to get the experience. But my grievance is that uh, I graduated into the recession and I wasn't even given a path to put in the time. It's 10 years 
since I've graduated college. Ten years later, I'm finally doing something that honestly I should have been doing eight to ten years ago. That is the plight. That's the true plight of the millennial. And that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, poor management, government mismanagement. Mm -hmm. And bad guidance on, like, you know, there should be a lot more involvement in having people, you know, telling people what kind of career paths, what kind of, well, I'm not saying yours was particularly a poor choice of a degree because I think it was specialized and probably that probably wasn't a bad idea and it was something you enjoyed. But I think a lot of these people, they're just led to believe, hey, go to college and you'll get a job. Well, no, that's not true. You need to, you need to hone in on a degree that actually is necessary. Marketable. Yeah, like engineering. I mean, if everybody went and get a degree in engineering, they'd all be getting jobs, you know, every engineer. Well, Eventually, eventually, that, right, exactly. But the market would be flooded. So, but um, you know, there's that to be said too. But it, it definitely, there's definitely a lot of grievances. And I think we talked on both you and I talked on um, the podcast with uh, Jerry Lake about yes about you know the millennials problem and the boomers and all that. And I I think that the 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 problem is getting worse. It is. Because the the labor market is becoming smaller because of automation and technology and things like that. Yeah, there are technology jobs. I mean, it, it does make me happy to see, you know, Uber and Grubhub and all these kind of, what do you call them? Um, delivery services? Yeah, delivery services, but you call them like a gig, gig workers. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that... Those are good jobs. I mean, like, they're good jobs, and they're jobs that are created solely out of the fabric of the Internet. Mm -hmm. um, so those are new ones that some people can step into. But, you know, the, the real question is, <laughs> those aren't careers. No. They don't provide 401Ks or any sort of retirement plans. Those um, are the Burger Kings and McDonald's of our, of of our generation. generation. Yes. It, and... They're flexible, though, you know, things like that. So they add a little bit of flexibility to your life. You know, now there's a lot more jobs in the grocery stores where the grocery stores were becoming more automated, and then now it's flipped a little bit because now there's personal shoppers. So there was that phase, there was the phase in the grocery stores that we could see happening where, oh, they've now got self-checkouts. You don't need as many baggers, and you don't need as many, you know, cashiers. But now they're hiring just as many people because now they need people to shop for you yeah that, that, that's actually part of the, the COVID economy believe it or not yeah but they were heading that way anyway they were yeah. um because they were widening those aisles before the pandemic and so there's a lot of things about that that are unique and i know that this conversation has shifted away from our original topic of social media's um i think that we pretty well hit the nail on the head of that one yeah I, the, when the i'm glad that where this is gone we're kind of having a good just a good conversation yeah the last thing that I, I will say about the, our original topic, the social media thing, since you brought it up, and I don't think that we talked about it, is the argument that it's a private corporation. They can do what they want. Uh, that argument is a, um, a single sentence, a single microcosm as to why I cannot, uh, I cannot claim to be a, a libertarian. libertarian. Yep. Um, even though I, I agree with libertarians on so, so many things, 
I cannot subscribe to the ideology because, you know, it's such a cuckolded ideology in a lot of ways. Um, whenever you find yourself in agreement with authoritarian leftists or, I don't know, I don't even like to really say liberal because liberal to me means of liberty and there's nothing of liberty of what these people want. Um, whenever you find yourself in agreement with these people, you have to stop and ask yourself, like, wait a minute, where am I going here? And that, again, that goes back to the fact that these people, these companies, they have a de facto monopoly on the uh, digital public square. And so, therefore, you know, it's like you said, it's practically gotten to the point that uh, uh, maybe it's not in front of a courthouse, but maybe it's more like in a Walmart parking lot. You know, at the back of the Walmart parking lot, you what do you see at the back of a Walmart parking lot? You see a bunch of people in RVs camping for the night because they're on a long road trip. Does Walmart bother them? No. Should they? I don't think so because they're not causing any trouble. But the, the, the main point is, is if there's a huge group of people who are waving their f flags and carrying their signs and then Walmart employees decide like, oh, no, no, these guys right here, uh, these, this, uh, this red shirt group, uh, this uh, conservative group here. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, force you off of our property. Everybody else, you know, even if you're burning buildings down, you, know, you can stay because you're following the narrative. But these uh, conservative guys, no, you got to get out of here because you go against the narrative. You're not allowed to be heard. <laughs> right. That's, it's utterly absurd whenever you say it out like that. But that's basically what, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, these big sites, that's what they're saying is you're not allowed to be heard because you go against the narrative. Whether or not you're telling the truth. It doesn't matter. Truth's irrelevant. Truth's irrelevant. It's what uh, the mainstream decides is the truth today. Correct. And on that note, we're going to take a brief break to grab some beverages and, and use the restroom. And then we'll be right back on. I want to talk a little bit about some uh, currencies. Great.
All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that music. I don't often let you get to hear the whole thing. Well, actually, you got about 30 seconds left, but eh, I'm cutting it short. All right, well, Steve and I are beveraged up, and uh, we've let ourselves loose outside. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're switching gears here just a little bit. This is an epic podcast. I'm pushing the limit here, seeing how much memory space I got on my SD card. But uh, I, w- I wanted to talk. Steve and I have had, we have all kind of, like I said earlier, we have a lot of good conversations off the air, you know, just friend to friend or whatever. And a lot of them, I got Steve, uh, I think I got, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I got you sparked into the currency sort of conversation when I did the podcast with my partner, Tim Keegan. Oh, yeah. that My business partner, Tim. That, uh, that, that conversation, that whole podcast, uh, that, I think that was your first one you ever did, wasn't it? Second one. Second one. First one I did was van dancing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was... Jay Plyburn. Um, um, but yeah, even sometimes, even still that conversation, not about the van dancing, um, comes up in my head, like just thinking about like, uh, how, how Tim w- was laying it out there. Like the, I, I'm kind of a history buff. I love history. Mm-hmm. And he was just laying out the history of currency and money, the concept of currency and finance and whatnot. And it, it, made me so interested in the whole concept. You know, I, I, I feel like thanks to you, I've had, I've opened your eyes. You've opened my eyes and you have given me like a whole new perspective on a subject that I used to think was boring. Yes. And pointless, not pointless, but very, very boring. Yeah. And it, it, it actually, it's actually something that makes the world turn. It is. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I think that anybody listening would find, hopefully would find it fascinating. But, you know, as I talked about with Tim before, you know, gold has always been considered kind of a universe, gold and silver, a universal uh, precious metals, precious metals. Yeah. Universal currency. It's stood the test of time. We're now into cryptocurrencies, whether you believe that will or will not win out. But the overall point is, and it's it means more today than it did when we did the podcast a year ago or whenever it was I did it. Oh, yeah. The printing presses are um, running out of ink every day. Some they're they're paying tons of people to replace the ink in these printing presses. Money printer go burr. Yeah, burr. You know <laughs> uh, the. The the fiat, you know, fiat currency is just any basically any currency that's not based in any anything. It's just backed by the the government's military, basically. Um, you know, we say it's worth this much, and people agree that it is, or they don't agree, or whatever. And then they get blown up, right? It does. It, it um. So we have gotten to the point. In my opinion, we're spending so much money. It's almost like a drug addict that knows that they're about to go to rehab. It's an interesting comparison. Yeah, and they go ahead and they use absolutely every bit of cocaine or heroin or whatever drug it is because they know they're about to get whisked off into rehab and never have it again. Right. Or an alcoholic. I'm going to pound my case of beer because I know it's my last beer. It is like our government knows that the dollar is about to go out of style. And they are burning it up while it's still worth something. As an American patriot, the idea of the dollar 
uh, crashing and burning like this, it, it really doesn't sit well with me. But like logically speaking, that's really the only possible outcome of the way things are going right now. Yeah, right. And 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 when you know they're printing it, printing it, printing, and they were printing it in the Trump administration. They've just been printing it forever. This isn't something new. No. They're they're doubling down though, and they're going absurd now. They're not doubling down. They're exponentially. <laughs> Right. Cubing down. And some people may comment and say, oh, they're not printing it. You know, they're not printing a bunch of money. Okay, whatever. They're digitally making it. Just numbers on a th- in a bank account. It doesn't necessarily have to be a paper bill. But for making fun of it, yeah, let's just assume they're literally printing tri- a trillion dollars of ones. and it's. But they're making money from nothing is the point. And how long can that go on? I mean, they've been doing it for a while, but it's it's exponential at this point. Um, the same thing was going on, you know, in Germany in the, you know, the pro- Weimar Republic. Weimar Republic, and they people ended up seeing what was going on, and they tried to put their money into something that they knew was still worth something to other people, like property, like furniture like uh, gold, silver, precious metals, jewelry, things of that nature. Because people still, that stuff, so basically, just like Tim and I talked about, currency is anything that uh, two parties of people agree upon has value. Basically, that's the general definition. So, you know, if... Backed by confidence. Yeah. Well, so like, if you're seeing that your dollar's going nowhere and you think that people will not agree that that's worth anything in the future, well, certainly um, someone would say your house still has value because you can live in it or whatever, so you might be able to trade your home for something. So kind of that's where people at that time, they went. They put their things that they, that they could buy into tangible goods that they still thought would maintain value through the tough times. I think we're about to hit similar sort of tough times here. Okay, and so yeah, and so that's why money is going crazy into cryptos. Whether that means whether they actually represent anything or not, people are dumping billions and billions and billions of dollars into these cryptocurrencies because they think they'll have value when all when the dollar doesn't. What are your thoughts on that? I, my first thoughts are diversify. Like if you want, if you think your dollar is not going to be worth much because of massive inflation and they're printing money like crazy and the dollar will go out of style because it, let's think about it. If the, if the whole entire world decides that we're no longer buying things in dollars, we're going to start buying them in renminbi. <laughs> that will yeah. immediately make the dollar tank. Of course. Um, and that's not out of the question. I mean, it's not. Well, I mean, what do you think the Silk Road Initiative is for? Exactly. So what I, you know, I like, I think you should diversify your money. If you have extra into stuff like precious metals into man, pick a cryptocurrency or two. Don't dump money in there. that make it so you can't feed your kid or your wife or whatever, you know, don't, but a little bit of extra dough, put it in there and just wait. But in our discussions about currency, you you have gotten real philosophical with it, and I have also. And so you said that there was some stuff you wanted to say specifically, and when you get done, I want to kind of throw some idea out there, and you know what that is. So. Right. So, again, th- this all kind of stems from me 
I drive a lot, and, which is funny because I hate driving. I hate cars. And it's also ironic because the, the job that I'm working in is a, a, we're a tier two manufacturer for, uh, for automobiles. But um, anyway, I drive a lot. So I have a lot of time to think. And again, my thoughts often go back to your conversation with your business partner, Tim, and uh, <clears throat> the concept of currency, the philosophy of money. Money is, as a concept, a very liberating thing because I like to think of it, I define currency as liquid power. Um, let's say that uh, you're a really good shoemaker, right? You're a really good shoemaker. And uh, you really like to eat apples, for example. Um, so maybe uh, the guy who has the best apple orchard, he's already got a pair of shoes, right? He doesn't need any shoes. But he needs socks. I mean, you're a great shoemaker, but you don't, you don't know a thing about socks. So you're going to have to make some mediocre socks for this apple guy to get some apples from him, right? But as a as a shoemaker, maybe you know the the guy who who has a bunch of cows. He, you know, the beef salesman, the meat market. He needs some shoes. But you're you're a vegan who loves to eat apples or something. You know, well, I guess maybe you can give sell off your shoes to the to the meat guy and take some of that meat and see if the apple guy is willing to trade for that you know it gets really complicated you you find this web of needs you know so many people need so many different things yeah not everybody needs that one thing that you have to offer right currency allows you to specialize so like now instead of Instead of uh, directly trading your shoes that you've made for apples, which you're going to have to trade a whole lot of shoes to get the apples you want because your shoes just don't have that level of value with the the apple orchard guy. So instead, you find find the, the beef salesman, you know, the meat guy. You sell him your shoes. And instead of getting meat from him, you get money. You get currency. And you can do whatever you want with that currency. It's so liberating. It, 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 you have converted it, your skill into liquid power that you can take and do whatever you want it, with it. Currency is very interesting because uh, Tim and I have talked about it. It, liter- it literally liberated the world. Yes. It, and people don't think of it like that, but what you have discovered is exactly the truth. It centralized. It made it so more things could happen. You know, you, the, a community, I, I, I try to envision history, you know, and it probably wasn't nations at the time. It was probably just communities. communities they, they agreed upon one thing of having value, right. which is like what my first definition of currency, it's an agreed upon thing with two parties as value. Well, if your community agrees that, you know, little pieces of copper that are of this size, mean something because copper's precious and we mine it over here and whatever mine and it's uh, precious to us and if you have like a gram of it it's worth dozen eggs or something and right. you know that's everybody agrees that that copper is worth something and then they begin to set the market yes 
what happens is naturally happens naturally. Okay. Um, it just so happens that gold and silver, those precious metals, have won won out, stood the test of time. Copper as well have stood the test of time. Copper has generally been the pennies and the, you know the things like that. Right. Um, silver has been the lesser sense, but back in the day, it was you know dimes were a lot. We're we're just talking money that in the last hundred years in America, you know. Right. But um, in in gold, well as we got off of, so we ended up in the, in America. We ended up printing paper money, but it was backed by gold and silver up until 1964, I think. Um, it was Nixon who, took yes, off. exactly, took us off the, the the gold standard, and it's because the price of those commodities, because of the market, had become greater than the actual value of them. By the way, uh, Nixon doing that was a great example of uh, the government trying to help and actually making the problem worse. Yep. Yep. So, where I was going with this, so it, it, it revolutionized the world. It revolutionized the way that the world was able to advance itself, that humanity yeah. was able to advance. It itself. freed up time. Yep. It uh, created different markets. It created a, a reason for people to start to do other things that may have value that they didn't know of, maybe. It allowed us to exceed our needs and enter the territory of our wants. Yeah, it was very, very, very liberating for for the human race. Very liberating, and um, it's often not thought about that much. I don't think um, in present day, and this is where I was going, and I've told you this, and I, I heard this in a podcast. But currently, socially, victimhood oh my God. is used as currency, particularly in the United States. If you can claim to be a victim, you have currency. You can sell that victimhood um, to whoever's willing to buy. But and, everybody is born with a certain amount of victimhood. And, uh, you know, the only way to buy victimhood is to, quote unquote, advocate for people who are born with the currency in hand. Uh, you know. Yeah, or to just believe everything that person or that group is saying because you feel yeah. like you owe them something therefore you're buying their victimhood and, even, and so every then you have a cap on how much victimhood you can possibly own at any given time right so and this is something kind of interesting to wrap your head around but we seem to be in a cultural environment where people don't value what they're actually able to make with their own hands and what they're able to do, but they value more as to how, how they can define themselves as being a bigger victim. And because that has value in, in some sick twisted sense. So for people coming out of school nowadays, it's more important to advocate or to tell or to claim the fact that you're, and I'm not saying these things because I think they're bad. I'm just saying they, this is a fact that they're gay or they're black or they're a woman or whatever. Because or that disabled. Or disabled or, or, or whatever. That, that carries a sense of victim. And it has power. People Maybe. are willing to give you something for that victimhood. 
And uh, so it's almost like people nowadays are trying to out-compete each other to, to, to be the bigger victim. Yeah, and I think that might, this is going to be kind of a joke, but kind of not a joke. I think that might be uh, why uh, so many of those types of people, um, I'm not speaking of like any particular race or anything, I'm speaking of a, a left-wing ideology, uh, why they were so desperate to get uh, uh, Joe Biden and uh, uh, heels up Camel Toe Harris into uh uh, office. I think it, I think it's Kamala. I'm sorry, I had to correct you it's on that. Kamala, actually. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, <laughs> heels up, Harris. Uh, anyway, these people, uh, they they got into office. Uh, the reason they wanted them in there is so that uh, our national victimhood GDP has increased significantly. Uh, we're now pathetic on the world stage. We're now uh, we've gone from bullying people to being bullied by people. Uh, so therefore, uh, America is working its way towards victimhood. We're trying to get the victimhood trophy. Yeah, the, the GDP. Like I said, our victimhood GDP has increased exponentially while our real GDP has decreased. <laughs> the thing that we haven't learned yet is that the majority of the world doesn't give a shit. Yeah. They don't buy victimhood. Yeah, and, and that, that goes back to, uh, um, you know, uh, everybody said that the rest of the world was laughing at us under Trump, which is a load of hogwash because uh well i said it in the back room i said if china was laughing at trump if they were truly laughing and mocking trump and as our enemy they yeah would want as him. our enemy why in the hell would they not want him reelected? yeah and the same goes for every single country on earth if they were truly not scared of trump and didn't think that he meant what he said and were thinking he was a big ass joke then why were they cheering his departure? And not only that, why is it that uh, so many of his uh, international efforts were successful? How is it that he was able to get flagrantly Muslim countries to not only recognize but shake hands with Israel? How did that work? How did he do that? He moved the the the, the embassy into Jerusalem. You know, as something that... That was huge. He actually did it. He did what everybody else said. Oh, we're going to do that. Uh, that. That's my Obama. You know, yeah, if we, if we do uh, that, you know, if we actually do that, you know, they might start a war and blah, 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 blah. Trump's like, no, this is what we promised to do. We're going to do it. And it didn't do anything. Yeah. Not, it actually made the people respect us. They went, oh. Oh, they're actually going to do that? They have a real leader all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. But no, no, the media narrative was he's a joke and the world stage and what an idiot and blah, 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 blah. The truth is the media was the joke the whole time, but and still is the joke. Um, but I think that the single greatest like uh, symbolic moment that shows that the, 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 that the media was totally, totally wrong in their assessment uh, whether that assessment was genuine or manufactured, I lean towards manufactured, um, is whenever Obama went to China, he had to find his own ride to the Chinese political, I don't know, what, the equivalent to the Politburo or whatever. He had to find his own ride. Nobody was there to welcome him off of Air Force One. He just showed up and he had to get chauffeured to visit with the Chinese leaders, and they even snubbed him on that. I think they were late. I could be wrong on that. 
but you know, oh, they they love Obama. I mean, like uh, one of the Chinese ripoffs of Kentucky Fried Chicken is uh, OFC Obama Fried Chicken. You know, uh, my wife she said that like when she was in China before she really had any idea of what the world was really like. You know, because when you're in China, you have no idea what the world's really like. Um, she said that she was moved to tears by some of Obama's speeches because he's a great orator, and I, I'll I'll concede that he he is an excellent orator, but that's all he is. He's a great talker. That's it. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, back to the point that I was trying to make. Whenever Obama went there, he was snubbed. What what happened when Trump went to China? They had parades. They had a red carpet. He was welcomed with cheers why is it because they they liked him no it's because they respected him why did it work out this way why is it that trump whenever he he could be so disrespectful to these asian leaders why is it that they still welcomed him literally on a red carpet it's because he knows how to deal how to do business and deal with people from those areas because he's done business there he knows that you have to have some sort of a if maybe sometimes overt, maybe sometimes more passive aggressive show of force. Um, I also, another great example I remember, I know that we've gotten off the currency subject. This is my last point that I have to make, but, but this is so recent. Sure it is. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, uh, a lot of people made fun of Trump because um, when he was uh, visiting with uh, Shinzo Abe, uh, the, former prime minister of Japan, sadly, got a horrible, horrible illness and had to step down. Uh, But anyway, he was visiting with uh, uh, Prime Minister Abe, and they were feeding the koi in the pond. I'm sure that anybody who watches the news and has a memory memory capacity greater than that of a goldfish remembers this. Uh, The media always showed Trump just throwing all the, the fish food into the koi pond and walking away. You know, like, guys just bombastic and stupid, and he just throws all the food in there. What they didn't show you is that Shinzo Abe did the same thing right before that, and Trump was just following his lead. (laughs) Um, And then you contrast that with how how Biden, uh, the uh, uh, coup um, commander-in-chief, treated the Japanese uh, prime minister... In his first visit with our greatest Asian ally, he fed them hamburgers, uh, which, you know, you're feeding a Japanese person hamburgers. That's kind of like, why are you going to do that? And he was late. He probably fell asleep or something, knowing Sleepy Joe. But either way, you just contrast these two things, and that just goes to show. But back to the currency uh, topic. Um <laughs> Do continue, Well, I find it that I, I think that we're going to see more and more inflation. Obviously, we're sitting at a pretty solid inflation right now. I mean, you just go try to buy a, a plank of wood. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, you have so many things that go into play. Um, you know, inflation is basically the devaluation of the dollar. It's not necessarily that the price of goods go up. It's that the dollar is worth less. Yeah. It makes Um, saving literally detrimental. Right. And 
and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this conversation. Like, what do you want? What would I advise people listening to do with their money so that they don't lose money by just holding it? Now, be careful. You're not giving financial. I'm not a fiduciary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, and that's, you know, you and I are just wanting to discuss about this. And what we would do. Yeah. What we would do. And, I would diversify things. I'd put a little bit in precious metals. I'd put a little bit in crypto. And I've, I've said this before. I'd, I'd buy some stocks that are inflationary hedges, like companies that are able to price their goods more and people still will buy them. Um, you know, and the reason I say, like I so said, there's some things that are going to come. We're already seeing inflation. We're going to get inflation due to the fact we're going to have inflation like in the traditional sense where the value of the dollar becomes less because of all this money printing. Yeah. Then, and not, not only that, but we're also going to have a stagnation of the market. Yes. That's yeah. where the, the additional increase in the price of goods, which not necessarily a sign of inflation, but your dollar becomes worth less. And then the goods start to become cost more for two reasons or maybe more than two, but one, because your dollar's worth less, so it costs more to get the good. Obviously. And the other reason, because we have massive labor shortages, the supply of the goods is harder to get. Mm-hmm. The supply of the good itself, because of labor shortages, is less. The demand, because we're coming right out of this pandemic, is astronomical. So you're going to get millions and millions and millions of people demanding to have these goods that are not available. Yeah, the supply chain is suddenly much more expensive. Yeah, so you have the dollars worth less, and then you have less of what you want. So the price of that commodity goes up mm-hmm. because only so many people can buy it. Yeah, it, we're 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 gonna start. To we're see gonna see, in my honest opinion, yes, the 70s. Oh, we're gonna see over this summer and into the into the fall, massive price increases massive inflation um just mark my words Uh, it's (laughs) sam i hate marking your words um because the last time i refused to mark your words like i i was right i had so much egg on my face that i'm still cleaning some yolks out of my nostrils (laughs) um and that was about a year ago. That was a year ago. Like I, I, I feel like I was dead right on so many things, but I had so much confidence in America at the time. I, I suppose that I, I was in a Trump days um, at the time. I had confidence that two weeks to flatten the curve would literally be two weeks to flatten the curve. I almost saw this all from the start. You, oh my God, you saw it before the start. Yeah, I said this. I is remember exactly the, what's going down. I remember the conversation. Uh, you you were saying that th- this is going to be something that's going to be here to stay. This is going th- this is going to be something that will affect us pro- for years to come. And I thought it's just two weeks. You know, it, it, I I thought of it as like we 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 survived total war back during World War II, right after the honestly during the Great Depression, and we not only did we survive that, but we thrived from it. I thought that this would be something similar to that, you know, but I was dead ass wrong. And you were so on point. And like I said, you know, I, I got a newfound respect from you. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, you did. And uh, I just rubbed a little bit of yolk out of my eye just now. Um, 
I hate to say that it, I was right about it, but I mean, first of all, when has the government ever done anything that actually was short-lived? And then it, it is just inherent in governments in general. When they take power, they don't give it back. Right. They. It, it's like Thomas Sowell said, you know, whenever you give... Whenever you create an alphabet agency to solve a problem, uh, their incentive doesn't become to solve the problem. Their incentive to becomes to look like they're solving the problem while per- perpetuating it so that they get to keep their job. Yeah, just like I was saying earlier about these career bureaucrats, their, their goal isn't for the benefit of anybody. Their goal is to make sure that their line item on the budget gets bigger every year. Yes, so that way they get more government funding. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's their job. They wouldn't define it like that on an individual level, nope. but that, like, as a whole, that's what they're doing. Yes, and they're perfectly incentivized to do it. From a capitalistic perspective, it makes perfect sense. From yeah, we 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 give value and incentives to the wrong stuff. Yes, where we should be valuing capitalism, like as it's supposed to be, we're actually defining the growth of government. Or we're uh, valuing the the growth of government. We're pushing ourselves slowly into socialism. I wouldn't even say slowly anymore. Not slowly anymore. Um, I mean, I think that we've been doing things that are down that path for decades. Um, the more when I look back on it now, for sure. But now, I mean, it's like hitting everybody in the face. Like, oh, wait a minute. What's what's going on? Let's slow our roll here. Yeah, like I said, that line has been drawn in the sand. And like if you were asleep and you're sleeping on top of that line, then only one side's going to accept you now. Right. That's our side. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Yeah. Because uh, moderation will not be tolerated by the left. They will hurt you. Like, if they can. Well, let's... We, we're going on an hour in 50 minutes in 30 seconds, to be exact. Okay. Let's end it on some positive stories. I want to go back for just a second to the currency thing. Okay. Because uh, I, for the longest time, uh, Bitcoin in particular, the most famous crypto, um, I called it buttcoin because I was like, this is a mess. It, like, if you look at the value of uh, Bitcoin Versus the dollar, you know, uh, if you put it on a graph on, on a line graph, uh, it, it looks like a meth addicts EKG, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's utterly insane. But whenever I finally learned what it really was, it made sense. Um, I, I liken it to digital gold mm-hmm. in the way that gold is a commodity that is going to have it, it. There's a cap on how much it, there is in the world. Um, in the beginning, you could probably pick gold up literally off the ground. Uh, and then people picked that literally low hanging fruit, you know, mm-hmm. Bitcoin in the beginning, it was very easy to mine. Like the, the formulas that uh, it asked your computer to, to calculate very simple in the beginning, but, with each Bitcoin mined, the next Bitcoin had a slightly more uh, complex uh, formula to mine it. And it's gotten to the point now that you have whole server farms that are eating up the market of 
computer graphics cards just to be able to mine this stuff. And because we're getting close to the capacity, the the finite end, because it was designed to have a finite amount. That's the only way that you can truly have deflation mm-hmm. is, is that your, your currency is backed by something with a limited quantity. Uh, there's only a, ever a certain amount that will ever exist. It's the only way that deflation can happen. Yep. And, and, and with the automation that we've had, deflation should, abs- by all means, if, if, if gold were still our currency, or if, if we had our currency backed by something limited, then, you know, we'd be making two bucks an hour and happy because that two bucks an hour would probably be worth like 30 bucks an hour in our current money. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, governments are incentivized to have inflation because it's a, it's a hidden tax. It's a hidden tax. You know, they can print more money and tax you on it and you don't really see it basically, but you feel it. Now, another cryptocurrency, uh, Doge coin, uh, the joke coin, you know, obviously it's been inflated by a bunch of guys who just wanted to screw around with the market for fun and make a little bit of money in the process or a lot of bit of money in some cases, I'm sure. I had a bunch of that in 2017. I think I told you that. And I called it back then. My buddy Brian and I, we called it doggy. Doggy. <laughs> but the, the the thing about Doge coin and Elon Musk pointed this out on I think it was on Saturday Night Live or shortly after, uh, that Dogecoin is ultimately a scam because um, it was created as a joke. Uh, it And the reason that it is a scam is that there's no capacity to it. Like, it, it can potentially be mined forever. Like, so at any given time, people are mining Dogecoin. And when they're mining Dogecoin... Uh, they're inflating the market. They're inflating. Mm-hmm. Never the, goes, never stops. It never stops. And that, that's why, you know, you know this because I've told you I'm real sold on uh, BCH, which is Bitcoin Cash. Oh, yeah, you are. And Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin are very similar. As a matter of fact, Bitcoin Cash is a what they call a fork, a hard fork of Bitcoin. And it was where people that created Bitcoin and that were real big on it didn't agree with the utility of it. Because it's uh, it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of Bitcoin to actually transfer it. So they wanted. They didn't think it was usable as actual currency, which also raises the, which makes it even more like digital gold. Right. Um, it's something you kind of uh, hold as a store of value, and Bitcoin Cash is similar, but it's actually usable like cash. Yeah. It's cheaper to and it it also has a limited amount and it's the exact same amount as bitcoin they they have the exact same amount which is why i think that the possibility it's cheaper it's like buying bitcoin at uh, 2010 prices yeah and I, I i think that it's very possible it will go up thousands of dollars now i don't know i don't know why i don't know you know it's all just a guess but it's also a limited amount, and it's something I think people already go into. I mean, it costs a couple hundred dollars for one of them anyway. But just like Bitcoin, I think there's like 18 or 19 million of them right now. Something like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that the max is like 19 and a half or 20 or something. I mean, it's not, or 21, I don't know. It's not very much. Right. Whereas 
dog coin or doji or doge or dog or whatever the hell it is which you and i i just bought a hundred dollars trying to as a, like a, get, literally to to, don't went into get into a sweepstakes yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, my, my point though is that <laughs> is that our fiat is being doged yeah yeah our fiat currency is dog coin because uh you know at any given time you know I think that on Coinbase they say that uh, ten thousand Doge coins are mined a day or something like that. I I could be wrong. I'd have to look again. I think it's I think it's more than that. But it's like way. an hour or something. Yeah. And it's like uh, you know, money printer go brr. Yeah, Doge coin miner go brr. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, you look every day. <laughs> it is a total scam. Doge coin or dog, whatever the hell it is. And I had hundreds of thousands of them back in 2017 because Brian Cox, sorry, Brian, but Brian will remember this. It was hard to buy. We had to get some, you couldn't buy it on Coinbase back then. You could only buy like three, back then, and you could only buy like three or four things on Coinbase. And I said, hey, let's buy this doggy. We were calling it doggy. Yeah. Doggy coin. Put $100 on it. And I, I think it was .0001 cents. And I had like hundreds of thousands of them yeah. and it went down like a thousandth of a cent. And Brian and I were like, Oh, we're getting out of this. <laughs> I lost like a dollar. Uh, you had the paper hands. You didn't have the diamond hands. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, that's about what it's worth. Yeah. Because the, the value of it is completely inflated. It's absolutely... It's all because Elon Musk keeps screwing around with it. and Elon Musk and a bunch of jackasses on Reddit. Yeah. Oh, Doge coin. Dogecoin. Buy Dogecoin. To the moon. <laughs> you know, and I think Elon said he's literally going to send Doge to the moon at some point, you know, by with his SpaceX stuff. But... <laughs> <laughs> so on a pause, let's let's uh, we're, we I'd like to finish this the next minute or two. Okay. So let's tell each of us tell one positive story. Yeah. End on a positive note. All righty. Been a lot of negativity. Well, we had to get it out there. Yeah, but it's it was a positive sort of negativity. Mm-hmm. You go first. You want me to go first? Yeah. Well, just tell like a positive thing this week. Positive thing this week. Well. Um, I've gotten better at reading uh, uh, blueprint diagrams and trying to interpret the thoughts of engineers, which are scatterbrained. Uh, I've made a huge milestone in my new job. Um, my Japanese has not quite gotten back to where it was 10 years ago, but despite the fact that it's just been a month that I've been speaking and listening to it frequently, I feel like uh, it's skyrocketed. Um, I'm feeling very confident and happy in my new job like despite the hour-long commute I don't feel dread when I go to work every day I actually feel a degree of pride in my work even though I'm brand new I already feel a degree of pride and I already feel like uh, I'm really in a position to make an impact on a company and um, even though (laughs) none of my co-workers are my uh, fellow Americans my compatriots I feel like I can (laughs) Uh, I feel like I'm going to be able to uh, really help people to not only keep their jobs, not only survive financially, but thrive so long as I keep up my effort. And, you know, this, this kind of, this kind of pride, like it it feels almost uncharacteristic for me to have this kind of pride in my work. Good. I mean, I'm I'm proud of you. I'm, 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 
So what you're saying is right now you're the happiest you've been in a long time. Basically. Uh, In my own personal life, I'm doing pretty well. Good. You know, and... And that, that that goes to show that I'm not a liberal, you know? I mean, like, the guy that I despise the most is in, and yet I'm happy. Yeah, and it it could be worse. So I'm going to end on my positive note is, first of all, I've got two little kids. One is going to turn four in just a couple weeks. Wow, really? Yeah. Is that a birthday? Yeah. Owen Owen here just coming up. Oh, that's uh, great. Otta, uh, my youngest son, he's uh, you know, you know getting you, a personality. You know, you know what you should get Owen for uh, his birthday? What's that? Uh, get him the Smash Brothers for the Switch so that he can uh, fight against his dad with Mario sometimes if he wants. Or or you can uh, do an exhibition match or like a CT Okay, match. that's a good idea. Um, and you can make teams and you can work together and fight the computer. Ying doesn't know this, but I got uh, my dad is going to get him Luigi's Mansion 3. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and... Um, Smash Brothers, it's a good idea because I've been thinking about what to get. So, but where I was going to go with my positive note, yeah. No matter how much we feel like things in this country are crazy, and they are, yep. And it is scary, yep. But there's never been a better time for my children. It might be crazy times, but there's never been a better time to be living in the human race as there is now. We have the, all the kinds of food that we want at our dispose, disposal at all times. We have air conditioning. We have washer and dryers. Thank God for air conditioning. We have vehicles. We live in America where we are still free. For now. We can go to national parks. We can drink beer. We can get That's on a computer. We can, do, we can record podcasts. We can do so much stuff. Yep. We've never been this connected, for better or worse, We've never had this ability to consume. And be happy. Yeah, to consume everything, media, food, whatever, at any time, at any place, as we have now as a human race. That's a good point. So we have a lot to be extremely happy about. You're right. And as, as much as we like to sit here and bitch, which is a lot of it's deserving, we should also give praise where praise is due. You're right. And I think that I'm going to end on this note. I thank God for as crazy as times may be that I was born in this time period and that I'm able to give my hopefully old age life, although I'm only 37 right now, at this point in history because I feel like it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Can I, can I finish for you, actually? Yeah. I have one more thing. I'm sure that there are probably some dads that listen to this podcast. I want to go back to the Smash Brothers thing. You can you can just start up a match at any time after you unlock whatever characters you want. You can make teams and then dad and son can or dad and daughter, mother, son, whatever can work together and you can beat up Bowser and one of Bowser's kids or something, you know. Yeah. Well, right now my sons are still sons. They haven't decided to be daughters yet. I they don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because this is going to get me banned from here. Because if they do decide that, then whenever you say, wait, hold on, you're only four years old, the police are going to come and kick your ass. Um, but anyway, no, really, like you can. Well, it's I'm going to look. a great way to spend time with your kids. Okay. I'm going to look into Smash Brothers and I'm going to end on this note of I think we can all praise God if that's what you praise or praise it's all, Allah. It's all in his hands. Whatever. It's all in God's but hands. 
we are living in good times. We have an awful lot to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. We should continue to be thankful for it. We should try to enact change where we think, or we should try to slow change <laughs> wherever we, that may be a better way to put it. And for those of you, I'm going to end on this. For those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. This is your host, Sam Denning and Steve Casey. It's been a pleasure. And with that note, I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thank you.